Hi, this is Greg Lois. Uh, if you're with us here today, it's because we'll be talking about New Jersey's second injury fund. At the end of today's webinar, I hope you're able to answer questions you get from your clients, your locations, your insureds, asking you things of like, what is New Jersey's second injury fund? Do they still have one? Many states don't have one anymore. Um, can the second injury fund reduce my exposure in this total disability case? And how likely are we to get contribution from the second injury fund. Today, we're going to cover all of those basics in a quick presentation, about 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, this is part of our overall webinar series. Every month, we do at least two uh, webinars, one for New York, one for New Jersey. Today, you're here for New Jersey. The most common question I get during the webinars and after the webinars is, Greg, I missed the webinar. How can I get a copy of everything you went over? Um, the answer to that is, uh, uh, look on our website. We have an archive of the entire webinar, everything that uh, we've been recording uh, since September. Uh, these webinars do build on themselves. They are cumulative. Uh, this is part of our overall uh, outreach that we do with the workers' comp community. Uh, the first thing I do or the biggest thing we do is these handbooks. If you don't have a copy of our handbook, uh, we, I think we're pretty much out of the physical copies, but we certainly have digital copies, whether that's for your Kindle, a PDF, or for iBooks, for your iPad. We can get you a copy of this. Today, for example, we're talking about the second injury fund. Um, this is page 129 in my book, and we'll talk about that, but uh, we're now at the end of our review of everything that's in the books. Um, Next month, the webinar series will start over, and we'll go right back to the beginning about uh, addressing basic issues and questions about compensability. We also have a website with all of our articles that we've been writing for over nine years. There's a newsletter you can join, and of course, I encourage everyone to attend our webinars, which do build on themselves. This is an absolutely live webinar. Uh, I think you can tell that when you can see us pressing buttons and trying to get the thing started in the beginning. Um, I can see your questions pop up. I try to answer as many questions as I can. Uh, I then also try to respond to questions that are emailed to me after the webinar. So please feel free. This is absolutely live. Uh, I like to try to answer as many questions as I can. I won't embarrass you. I'll just say your first name and I'll restate your question for the audience because they can't see the questions popping up, I don't think. And then I will um, answer the question to the best of my ability. All right, let's begin. Today we're here to talk about New Jersey's second injury fund. And the first question is, what is it? How does it affect my case? And can it reduce my exposure? Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Again, we're in Chapter 14 of my book. Today, I want to give you a very big overview, really 30,000 feet overview about the New Jersey Second Injury Fund. I want to give some very practical, common sense, dollars and cents examples. I want to talk about instances where the Second Injury Fund is going to push back and not try to get uh, involved in our case or present or provide us with contribution. They're going to talk to you about our successful strategies or the practical strategies for getting contribution. So let's start first. What is the second injury fund? Well, the second injury fund was adopted in 1923. And basically it says that when an employer hires an employee who has a pre-existing disability and the person ends up results with a total disability, can't work anywhere anymore, uh, the employer is not on the hook uh, for the amount of the pre-existing disability. And there's a reason this was adopted in 1923. And the reason for that was we had a lot of soldiers returning back from World War I. And they returned back from World War I with horrific injuries, amputations, blindness in one eye, uh, all sorts of things. 
And employers didn't want to hire these employees because they said, well, they're veterans. That's great. But they already have a disability. If they work for me and get even more disabled, now I'm going to be stuck with all of the exposure for both disabilities combined. The second injury fund says, no, nope, you're not. You're only going to be responsible for the portion of disability attributable to your work accident. And any pre-existing disability is going to be paid by this state fund. Now, I pay for workers' comp insurance for my employees. And right now, uh, the uh, surcharge that everybody pays to the New Jersey second injury fund is just over 5%. Um, that's actually decreased. Uh, the last time I checked, it was three years ago. Uh, that At that point, it was a little over, it was like 6.5% or 6.6% in 2013. It is now about 5 point something percent. So of your premium, of those total dollars, that percentage is going to fund the second injury fund. All right, some rules for the fund. Uh, the fund is uh, created by statute. Our statute sections that fund it are uh, New Jersey statute 34-15-94, and the statute that um, governs how it actually applies in a workers' compensation case is New Jersey statute 34-15-95. The fund can only pay in very limited situations, and the fund is not to be interpreted uh, the way the rest of the Workers' Compensation Act is, which, which is, quote, with liberality and generosity to the petitioner. In fact, there is case law that says that the fund should be very strict about how it pays out because they don't want to deplete this second injury fund. So the fund pays when the claimant is currently totally disabled. Uh, the claimant had a measurable disability before this last employment accident. And it is a combination of both accidents. There are pre-existing disability, you know, think about them coming back from the war uh, with blind in one eye, and then a new injury while working for us, which renders them completely disabled. For example, the loss of the second eye. Uh, it's the combination of those two things that render them totally disabled. Now, the second injury fund is going to pay when both sides are either conceding or at least discussing the potential for the petitioner to be totally disabled. What do I mean by that? Well, you can go into a second injury fund conference as the respondent, as the employer, as the carrier, and say, well, look, for the purpose of this conversation, we're all going to imagine that this petitioner is permanently and totally disabled. And really, the point of this conversation, the point of this pretrial conference is really to determine how much the second injury fund is going to contribute to this case, uh, which is very different from the way respondents, employers, carriers typically approach a pretrial conference. I never walk in there and say, oh, by the way, uh, we're willing to concede total disability. We never say that ever. Uh, when those words come out of my mouth, uh, that, that's, it's very uncomfortable. I've been trained never to say those things. Okay, But in the context of a second injury fund contribution argument, we'll absolutely make that position. Next, we have the burden, the employer and the petitioner, to show that there was sort of some sort of disability before the last accident. Usually, we're arguing something like, hey, this person was already working in an accommodated duty position, or they were doing light work, or we had uh, more strenuous jobs available, but they didn't take them, something like that. Um, we also have to concede that they are now totally disabled as a result of their cumulative injuries or conditions, not because they took a regular retirement or for any other reason. All right. Who pays and how do they pay? Well, the respondent is still going to pay for the portion of disability that we actually create. The fund is going to pay for all of the other disability, and then they'll pay on for life. So let's talk about how that actually works. Let's get a concrete example about how this helps us in a total disability case. Uh, this is our friend Silhouette Bob. Silhouette Bob has an average weekly wage of $600 per week. 
and he is 61 years old. Before he came to our employment silhouette, Bob already lost his right foot. Okay, so for uh, the presumption in, the, in the, this example is going to be this is a petitioner with a very obvious pre-existing disability. He had a prior amputation of the right foot, um, and that's it is easy and obvious. And I'm picking a really easy, obvious example. I'm not saying it's, you know, untreated or undiagnosed diabetes or a progressively worsening chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or any of the other sort of conditions which are quite inquit and rather subjective or maybe not well documented. This is obvious, right? The gentleman came to work for us, Silhouette Bob, and he came to us with the loss of his foot. Like every case we're going to be talking about in a second injury fund claim, they are working at the time of the last accident. Okay, that's a basic statement. Now, while working for us, unfortunately, Silhouette Bob loses his other foot. And again, I made the most easy and obvious possible example because under our statute, uh, uh, 34 colon 15, oh, there's a typo, 15 colon 34-12C20, uh, 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 the uh, loss of both hands or both feet is statutorily totally disabled. So in other words, irrespective of any other facts, the fact that you've now lost both feet, he's statutorily, we'll call that statutorily disabled. Okay, let's talk about what that means. Imagine there is no second injury fund in New Jersey. Okay, and here we have our friendly order for total disability. What's the exposure in that case? Well, the exposure is going to be 450 weeks, which is the maximum award. That's a total disability award, right? Not 600 weeks. The statute um, does go up to 600 weeks, but awards for total disability are made at 450 weeks. 75% uh, disabled is considered total in New Jersey, plus ongoing benefits for life plus any necessary and related medical treatment. And that could be palliative, not just curative. All right, let's talk about this in terms of math because it'll make it more uh, apparent. A total disability award always has an initial period. Um, then to calculate your exposure, you're gonna look at whatever the number of years are in Silhouette Bob's life expectancy. We'll consider medical costs for life and that will come to our total exposure in a total and permanent disability case. So the initial period is always going to be 450 weeks. That's just statutory. That's easy. Where are we getting the number of weeks in the life expectancy? Well, we're going to take that from a life table uh, or a rated age. If you've gotten a Medicare set aside and you've got a rated age, that can sometimes be lower than the decennial life table or any other sort of underwriting life table that you use. Um, and then the cost of medicals, well, maybe uh, one place to get them is you get a medical cost projection because you've got a Medicare set aside. Uh, obviously, in an order for total disability case, there is no need for a Medicare set aside because you're going to remain on the hook and responsible for future medicals. That's something to think about, or that's one of the places where we can get those done. And that all added together. So the 450 weeks of initial entitlement, the number of weeks for the petitioner's remaining life expectancy, plus whatever medicals we're going to have to pay in the future, that's our total future exposure. It's a huge number. Uh, in the case of Silhouette Bob, let's take a look at it. Initial period, 450 weeks, plus on, uh, according to the uh, decennial life table, that's the one that's easy in, um, for me to use. I'm not an underwriter, I don't have access to rated ages. Uh, would be 17.3 years on his life table. So an additional 449.6 weeks of compensation, plus whatever medicals in the future cost projection, equals an indemnity exposure of approximately $539,400 plus medicals. So this is a huge exposure uh, for someone in Silhouette Bob's uh, condition. And again, I'm using some basic presumptions, and those presumptions are he's 61 at the time of the loss, and um, 
He, his average weekly wage was $600 per week. That's actually a very low average weekly wage in New Jersey, so that's keeping that top number even lower than normal. All right, let's talk about the uh, second injury fund paying. Again, it's silhouette Bob. It's pretty easy. It's pretty obvious. We can go down the list. He's definitely totally disabled, right? Under this statute, I picked a very simple, easy example. He's lost both feet. He's absolutely going to be found to be totally disabled under the statute. All right, the next step is how much disability are we going to attribute to the prior loss of the foot, right? That's the thing that we're going to be debating about with the second injury fund. I want that number to be really huge. The second injury fund really wants it to be low, and petitioner doesn't care because they're getting the same amount of money no matter what. It's just who pays them. So how do we figure out the amount of measurable disability? Uh, well, there's a lot of places we could look. Under New Jersey's uh, schedule, uh, a total loss of the foot is 230 weeks, right? So that's one place we could look at and say, hey, he had an amputated foot. That's probably what he would have gotten. Uh, the other place we can look at is the medical reports, right? So both sides are going to have evaluating physicians take a look at Silhouette Bob, and we're probably going to say, well, prior, before this second accident, before the loss of the other foot, his disability was X, Y, or Z to the statutory foot. Um, just for the sake of keeping this simple and easy, let's presume that the second injury fund only agrees that his prior disability uh, was 1%. And I'm just picking a very random, tiny amount of disability just to show the impact uh, in, the most, in the clearest way possible on the overall exposure. So uh, imagining that he's now lost both feet, and the second injury fund is only going to concede that the prior disability was 1%. Let's take a look at those dollars and cents. It was $539,000. So when you're looking in that middle column, that's telling you uh, the number of weeks, 450 weeks attributable to us initially. Then uh, he's 60, so there's 449 additional weeks of compensation due. That gives us a total dollar exposure of $539,400. I just got to the same numbers we got to before. Uh, just put them in a different format. Next, let's presume the same facts, but the fund, the second injury fund, will contribute 1% disability. 1% 1 of 450 weeks is four and a half weeks. And so our initial uh, uh, exposures for 446 weeks, four and a half, uh, our, initial our initial exposure. Then we're paying zero dollars. No more weeks going on. We're not paying that life expectancy. That's taken over by the second injury fund. And that gives us a new total dollar exposure of $267,600. It's approximately half, right? Just 1% of disability, a tiny contribution from the second injury fund, really reduced our exposure in, by half. And so that's pretty dramatic. And you can tell just by looking at this very simple, simplified uh, sort of example, that getting contribution from the second injury fund, even in a very small amount, can have a huge impact on a case in terms of dollar exposure. And uh, in cases where the claimant's average weekly wage is even higher than $600, it makes an even more dramatic impact on the overall exposure. All right, how do we get contribution from the second injury fund? Well, first, documentation. We're the employer, and the good news is we have got a lot of access to information about the type of job this petitioner was doing at the time they sustained an accident with us. Next. Um, the claimant needs to file a verified petition. Technically, under the statute, the employer is supposed to ask for second injury fund relief, but the verified petition has to be signed and executed by the claimant. Um, next, the petitioner needs a medical report finding them totally disabled. 
Um, and there are many instances, edge cases, where the petitioner's initial reports don't find them totally disabled. And sometimes the respondent and the petitioner will talk and we'll realize, hey, we're better off if this person is totally disabled because they have so many pre-existing injuries. And we'll be able to use that to get a lot of contribution from the second injury fund and reduce exposure quickly. And finally, uh, the petitioner is going to have to provide a lot of information about any Social Security disability awards, any pensions they've received, or any other workers' compensation or civil awards, because all of that is going to be considered um, by the second injury fund when they're considering how much contribution there's going to be. Now, there are some things the second injury fund never pays. And let me just preface this conversation by saying the second injury fund is staffed by deputy attorney generals. Uh, with an overriding idea of let's protect the fund. They do not want to um, uh, spend the fund's money if they don't have to. So the fund does not want to pay it when they don't have to. The fund never pays for any medical treatment ever. Okay, that's always going to be still our exposure. They never pay any costs of, of suit or any attorney's fees. That means whatever uh, portion of, of the petitioner's attorney's fee there is, uh, it's never paid by the second injury fund. It's always paid by the respondent and the petitioner. They will never contribute towards a Section 20, and that's an important thing to consider. These total disability awards uh, are, are generally not Section 20-able, uh, but this, the second injury fund will never contribute towards one if there is one available or possible. They never pay any dependency benefits. They will never contribute in a partial disability case. This is someone who's permanently partially disabled. That's less than totally disabled. If you do think the person has a pre-existing condition uh, and it's to the same body part or system that you're now compensating, you can rely on the Abdullah credit in that instance. The fund will often argue uh, that the last accident by itself was the totally disabling event and that the prior accidents and injuries had absolutely nothing to do with the overall um, person's residual permanent impairment. And finally, the, the uh, fund will also argue where the last injury has simply progressed along its natural route and become totally disabling by itself. All right. The most common objections I hear from the second injury fund are, Greg, uh, you, that petitioner was total from the last accident alone. And they always say the same things, or they often say the same things. Look, they were working at the time of the last accident. Well, of course they were. But by definition, everybody who's eligible for the second injury fund was working at the time of the last accident, right? So I, you know, that's a discountable argument. They'll also argue that the, the petitioner is simply not totally disabled. Uh, and those arguments in the case that we've presented, Silhouette Bob, who's lost both feet, can't be made because statutorily they're, they're totally disabled under the statute. And it's very easy and obvious. Uh, but they will make an argument that the petitioner is not totally disabled. Uh, and we, you need to be prepared to argue that they are. Uh, they'll also come up with this sort of uh, job description that doesn't really exist where they'll say, well, they, they're not totally disabled, Greg. They could be a Walmart greeter. I don't know how many Walmart greeters that Walmart is actually hiring. Uh, but again, that's one of those, uh, I think, sort of straw man arguments that doesn't really affect it. The fact that this person is employable in some position, maybe in some sort of a very accommodated, does not mean that's not inconsistent with total disability. In fact, there's case law that says that total disability is consistent with the ability to do some work, some gainful employment. Uh, and finally, the second injury fund will resist any attempt by uh, petitioner and respondent to characterize an odd lot claimant, meaning someone who is not really totally medically impaired, totally disabled, but a combination of lack of vocational skills, lack of education, lack of literacy, maybe lack of 
uh, documented work status to be completely add this all together. You say, well, the medical impairment is not so bad. But when you think about everything else that's going on in this person's life, uh, that's why they're totally disabled. The second injury fund will resist that uh, to the end of the time. Uh, however, there is not really clear case law that says that you cannot be odd lot disabled and still get second injury fund contributions. So that's something for respondent counsel to argue quite strenuously. All right, that's the end of my prepared remarks. Let's get to some of your questions. Uh, in order to do that, I need to take a hit escape over here, bring my cursor back, uh, and just see if we can see there any questions popping up on the screen. Okay, here we go. I must have done a perfect job or spoken so fast no one could actually type a question in. I don't see any questions today. Um, Please feel free to email me any questions you have uh, going forward. Uh, I do get emailed questions. Again, the most typical one is, Greg, where is the replay? Those are on our website. Okay, next month, uh, this webinar series will be getting taken over by Joe Jones, Michael Tomasino, and Michael Gervolino. Uh, going forward for the next year, uh, this curriculum that we've set is going to be followed by my partner, Joe Jones, and our two associates in the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Department. Uh, we're going to reset, so we're going to start over with our uh, entire webinar series. Each month is a different topic. We basically go through the Workers' Compensation Handbook step-by-step, chapter-by-chapter. Please join us. Uh, we'd love to have you with us. Uh, at that time, um, and Joe and Mike and Mike will be available to answer questions. Okay. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today.